0: Greetings and welcome to the 17th installment of the Rocket IT Business Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hyatt, and today I'm joined by a man whose life has resulted in one of the Southeast's largest residential programs for children in crisis situations. At the ripe age of 27, with no land and little money to his name, Eddie Staub was driven by a courageous vision to positively impact communities through the reunification of local families. 35 years and 315 acres later, that vision has since transpired into Eagle Ranch, a nonprofit facility that CNN rightfully nicknamed the Miracle on Chestnut Mountain. So now to share a glimpse into how Eagle Ranch has continued to impact multiple generations of children and their families, I'd like to welcome Eddie to the show. Eddie, thanks for joining us.
1: Great, it's great to be with you, Matt.
0: I I I told you before the show that I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. Uh, As you know, we had uh, originally planned to record way back in the early spring, uh, before our pandemic kind of took over all Mm -hmm. our lives. And so we've been delayed for a long time and uh, now through the miracle of technology we're doing it mm-hmm. over the web but i'm so glad to spend some time with
1: you this morning well, i really have looked forward to it so it's great Excellent. to be with you
0: so uh, eddie i'm just going to start by uh, asking a little bit about the why behind eagle ranch mm-hmm. uh, i i know a little bit of your story our listeners may not they may not be familiar with uh, eagle ranch and so i'd love if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, the premise and mission of Eagle Ranch. How did, how did you get started and where did that idea come from?
1: Right. Yeah. And and that's a a great to place to start, Matt, because everything emanates from our why, whether it's individually organizationally. So, um, our why, uh, with Eagle Ranch is basically twofold. Uh, first that Eagle Ranch would be a tangible expression of God's goodness and power in this world that when people look at Eagle Ranch, they look past a person or a group of people and to uh, a God who is still at work in this world and uh, making a difference in this world. Um, interestingly, we had a, a group uh, out to, to Eagle Ranch, uh, this was a little while back, and, uh, and I noticed a guy in the back of the room uh, that I had known since arriving in Georgia back in the early eighties. And this was in the mid probably 2010. And he had never been out to the ranch. He'd been a good friend of mine. And, uh, and I saw him in the back of the room when I, and as I was speaking, I, I, I made a mental note. I need to see him after this because I haven't seen him in a while. And sure enough, the meeting ended and he just bolted out of the room and I was going, Oh, Gosh, I I'm, I missed him. And uh and after the after the meeting, someone called me in my office and they said, Did you see so-and-so at the meeting? I said, Yeah. And I said, I tried to get to him after my talk, and he just left real quickly. And he said, Well, Eddie, what he did is he drove around the ranch because he had never been down there before. And he called me when he got back to uh to the office and he said I've never been out to Eagle Ranch. And he said, I can tell you this. There is no way that place would happen apart from God. And, and, and I don't know where this guy is in his spiritual journey, but he could see firsthand that God was at work. And as a result, Eagle Ranch. So that's my heart's desire is that when people look here, they see, they see God doing great things. The second thing is of our why is that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus to hurting people Mm. and Jesus was always moving toward people who were struggling people that were on the margins and even people that thought they had it all together and just said there's more for you you may have a great portfolio. You may have great influence, but there is more like Nicodemus, right? And he also went to those who are really struggling in life. And, uh, we had a a young boy here. Uh, he had, I guess he'd lived here about six months and he'd been the product of a really brutal kind of divorce. And, Mm. and I, he was walking around the ranch. I pulled up my car and I said, I said, how you doing son? He goes, not good Eddie. I'm not doing good. And I said, well get in my car. And we were driving around. He was telling me about his family situation. And I looked at him, I said, son, I said, there's greatness in you. And he literally physically jumped in his seat in the car as if could that possibly be true. (laughs) And I I think that's what, Jesus was about calling out greatness that was in people that perhaps didn't even think there was greatness in them. And, and that is, uh, one of our great, um, messages to the children that there is greatness in you, uh, regardless of what you've been told, regardless of how you feel, that that is the truth in the early parts of your story don't have to be predictive of the way the rest of your story is going to go. And that's our greatest challenge, Matt, is because children, the first 13, 14 pages of their story have been tragic. They've been difficult and they go, I know how this is going to end. And we intersect that. We come in on page 14 or page 15 and say, that's not true that that doesn't have to be the way your story is going to go. And that, that that verse from Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give a future and a hope. It's true, and it's operative in their lives. And to get them to believe that is our greatest challenge. So that, that's our why, to, to be a tangible expression of God's goodness and power and to be the hands and feet of Jesus for hurting people.
0: Well, I love it. And, uh, I think, uh, from what I know of you and, and the ranch, uh, you're living out that why on a regular basis, I want to come back to that in just a minute. But before I do, I think it's important for our listeners that don't have any idea what Eagle Ranch is to kind of give them a, a maybe a mental picture of, of what the ranch is. I mentioned in our intro 315 acres. So you've got some, You've got a property that is up uh, northeast of Atlanta. What, if people come to the gates of Eagle Ranch,
1: what unfolds in front of them? What, what do they see? Well, our, our physical plant is, um, as you mentioned, we have 315 acres. We have 10 children's homes, four for girls, six for boys. We have seven boys per home. So 42 boys and six girls per home. So 24 girls. So we can take care of almost 70 children here wow. and they come and live here for a season of their lives, Matt, that averages about two years. And our goal is family restoration and reunification. Now when people think of children's homes, historically, they have looked at it very child centric, you know, uh, Sort of Boys Town esque that you have these little orphans. And, uh, but the reality is.
0: I, I would add b- before I, uh, you go on, I personally would have sort of an institutional view when you
1: say a home, but that's not what's at the Eagle Ranch. No, it, it, it's very much like a neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, the homes are about 7,000 square feet. You know, you're right, Matt, people come here and they go, I think these are going to be like boy scout huts, you know, like, (laughs) and they're like residential homes. And it looks very much like a a neighborhood and Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So we have a house parent couple that lives in each of those homes Mm -hmm. and they model a Christian family to the children. And we have, uh, uh, five master level counselors that do individual group and family counseling to help these children and their families work through their emotional pain. And with the, like I said, the end result, rego- the end result being family restoration reunification. Um, when I started the ranch back in the early eighties, children tended to stay here a little longer. They'd stay three, four years oh. and, and it's just not the case anymore. And, hmm. In out-of-home placement like Eagle Ranch, a child literally the average stays 18 months to two years. and our stay about two years. We have wow. several kids, several children that are going to be graduating this coming May. They will have been here over three years. Um, but the reality is, is when a child leaves here, Matt, they are going to go somewhere. And 95% of the time, that somewhere is back home. And if we haven't done something to make home healthier, Mm -hmm. they're going to go right back to that dysfunctional dance that got them here in the first place. Mm. So, uh, last year, I think in addition to taking care of the the children who live at Eagle Ranch, we did family counseling with, I think close to 300 parents and siblings of our children. Last year. Mm -hmm. Wow. Last year. So, yeah mm-hmm. we really uh, we really invest in the family because we feel that's the best determinant of long term success for our kids. If we can get that family recalibrated um, that and they learn a healthy dance if that a, a healthy familial dance that sure. that's the best uh, indicator of them doing well A ninety
0: five percent Success rate on reunification with the family sounds amazing i mean well, really, that sounds incredible
1: well it's um i I, I probably misspoke there ninety five percent are going to go home not all those uh, home goings uh are successful
2: i see. in our mind
1: yes right, right. Um, i would i would I would say it's it's in the oh gosh probably the 50 to 60 percent yeah um and but I, I can i can honestly say the family's better mm-hmm. than when they came it's just yeah. not where we would want it um well, a lot I of times kind of see.
0: yeah i mean they're they're coming uh, i would imagine that uh, a lot of these kids are coming out of tough uh multi-generational uh, systemic challenges, and right. turning that around in a year or two, even a fifty to sixty percent success rate is a, an amazing success. Yeah, and it sounds yeah. like uh, some percentage of them uh, beyond that at least have some chance of that, at it. You know, if you're sending and ninety ninety five percent back home, and you, that's and great. You never,
1: you ne- and you never know, Matt. When those seeds you planted are going to take root, mm. and that's the same thing with us as parents, right? Your listeners, sure. you go, gosh, is little Johnny or or uh, little Emily, are they ever going to get it? Mm-hmm. But you know, I think what we're called to do is continue to sow good seeds into our children's lives, into other lives, and you just pray for the harvest. Mm-hmm. We uh, we uh, recently had a a, a young. He's a young man. He's 25 years old. He lived here from when he was nine to 11 and I haven't seen him Matt since he was 11 years old and he came here at 25. Good looking, good looking young man. And he came with his older sister who's 27. And as they were about to leave his, his sister looked at him and said, I'll call him Billy. She goes, Billy. Where would we have been if Eagle Ranch had not been there for you? Hmm. And he looked at his sister, and he says, "Susie, we don't have to ask that question because Eagle <laughs> Ranch was there for me, and my life has oh, changed because awesome. of it." And, and, <laughs> but you, but but there was sort of dead silence for those fourteen years. You just didn't hear, right? But those seeds that were sowed took root in this child's life just like our own children our grandchildren or whatever you just never know when that act of kindness that act of challenge mm-hmm. is going to resonate in a, in a child's heart and and change the trajectory of their life so
0: we don't always know do we uh when we made a mm-hmm. difference in the life of another person but I love that you've mm-hmm. been very intentional about it for a long long time and i bet there are Uh, countless stories like that, whether you know them or not, you know, whether you ever hear Mm -hmm. about it, uh, but there are countless stories like that. So I want to go back to the, uh, the why, the purpose for, for just a moment. Uh, you know, we talked about the fact that, uh, Eagle Ranch was founded, what? 35 years ago, right? Roughly 35 years ago. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. I can't, I came here in 82 and the first child came in in April of 85.
0: Yeah, there you go. So, uh, just over 35 years. Congratulations. That's a long, long time for any organization. Uh, great, great success there. Uh, but I am curious, I know when I started my business, I started my business a little over 25 years ago and the original why was Matt Hyatt needs a job, right? You know, I'm gonna start this business because I, I, you know, I need to, I need, I need to develop some income, and it wasn't until much later, I need mean, to put some food on the table. Right, that's right. That we came up with uh, uh, something, a, r- a rally and cry that other people besides Matt Hyatt could get behind. Right. <laughs> so I'm just curious, how, how, how does that change for you over over uh, the last 35 years? Did you go into it with that why? Uh,
2: I did. or was it more uh, uh, of you a know, calling?
1: Um, I, I went into it, Matt. Um, I'll, I'll tell you two quick stories how these two parts of the why sort of came to, came to be. The first one uh, is about that this would be about God and not about me. Um, I met with, um, when I first came here, I didn't know anybody in Georgia and nobody knew what to do with me. I was asking for money about this dream, right? And mm. people going, Who is this guy? They even called, I went to Auburn. They even called the dean of students at Auburn to make sure I went there. <laughs> they called the athletic department to make sure I played baseball there. There you go. So they were just doing all this due diligence that I didn't even know of. I didn't know they were doing it. But finally, uh, one of the guys in our area knew the retiring CFO of Genuine Parts. And and he said, Eddie, I want you to meet with Sonny Ellis, who is retiring. And apparently he was a gatekeeper of a lot of foundation and corporate giving in Atlanta. And so he had dealt with people like me and they just said, Eddie, we want you to meet with him. So, uh, I talked to Mr. Ellis, got the appointment set up and he goes, Eddie, by the way, I want you to bring me your business plan. And I go, okay. And I hung up and I, called to myself, "What's a business plan?" I had no idea, <laughs> and so I said, "I think it has something to do with numbers
2: uh-huh.
1: and uh, you know how the things gonna grow." So I I did a business plan on one sheet of paper, and I took it to Atlanta and uh, I met with him. He said, "Did you bring your business plan?" And I had this one piece of paper. Now this guy's the CFO of a, a big time company, and I got this one sheet of paper. And I said, <laughs> "Here it is." and he's the quintessential Southern gentleman. So he just didn't laugh in my face. He just picked it up and he just stared at it for five minutes, an uncomfortable five minutes. And he could have devoured that information in in less than a minute. But I know he was trying to figure out how to let me down easily Mm. without hurting my feelings, without discouraging me. Finally, he finished, he put down the sheet of paper and he moved it across the desk and he said, Eddie, he said, first of all, thank you for this. And, and he said, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm going to tell you something. What you want to do is impossible. Oh, wow. But I'm not taking into account what God can do through you. And without a doubt, Matt, that's the most encouraging statement anybody has mentioned to me in my 35 years of being here Wow! because my heart's desire was for that. Mm -hmm. Without God, it was impossible. So that was Mm -hmm. the first part of my why the second part to be the hands and feet of Jesus is I grew up in an idyllic family, mom and dad who were committed to me, roof over our head. You never had to worry about any of that. And when I went to Auburn, I got involved in the big brother program. And I did some inner city work. I did some stuff with really poor people in the rural areas. And I just sort of had this epiphany because growing up in Mountain Brook, Alabama, you think everybody lives like this. And, and then I was exposed to people who were struggling in life. And I'm going, oh, my. Not only is my life, is it not the rule, but it's the exception. And the only reason I have what I have is because of the grace of God, that's it. I haven't deserved it, I didn't earn it. It was just given to me out of the grace of God and it was out of gratitude for what God did for me that I wanted to help children that didn't have those opportunities, that I wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who struggle. And so both of those happened very early on at the onset and those things sort of came together for me mm-hmm. and it sort of became my fire it the fire of, of why I exist on this earth my why so that's how that
2: I love it me. I love yeah.
1: it
0: you mentioned you grew up in Alabama how'd you yeah. end up in Georgia
1: well I didn't want to come to Georgia oh. uh, I'm, <laughs> You know, I don't want the Chamber of Commerce really to hear that comment. But I, I I'm from up in Birmingham, and when I felt this call, uh, I was working for a guy who was all American for Bear Bryant. I was working at another children's home, and I was a second string catcher at Auburn on a good oh. day. So, <laughs> I was just going to work with him, help him be successful. I'm just an average guy, uh, but after about eight months, I knew I needed to leave and start my own deal and but I didn't want to but I knew I was supposed to and I went down a mobile up to Huntsville trying to find where Eagle Ranch needed to be and there wasn't a need there and somehow I found out there wasn't anything for hurting children northeast of Atlanta and so I believe that need drives vision and that's where the need was And that's where my vision was going to encamp. So July 9th of 1982, I packed up my car and came to Georgia. So that's how it started. Yeah.
0: So you packed up your car, you had a suitcase with a million dollars in it to get started. (laughs) Now that's not what happened at all, right? You came here with, with not a lot. How, how in the world did you come here and, get started. I mean, that, that, that's tough for anybody. And and I'm thinking a lot of our listeners are folks that, uh, are in business, uh, or we probably have some folks that are in nonprofit, uh, organizations and trying to launch uh, a vision. I've experienced it. Trying to launch a business, an organization from nothing, uh, is tough. Can you kind of walk us through arriving here in Georgia
2: to having uh, a place to call the ranch?
1: Hmm. There's so many uh, different facets to that. Um, I remember when I came here, I was able to stay at a place called Ignatius House. It's a retreat in North Atlanta, and uh, the people that ran that knew my father,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I didn't have anywhere to go. And and uh, someone said, "Well, you can stay at Ignatius House. They know you're dead. They knew you're dead." And so uh, I stayed there for two months, and then I didn't have anywhere to go. And I ran into the only person I knew in Atlanta off Sandy Springs and he goes, Eddie, what are you doing here? This guy was a friend of mine. worked at Chick-fil-A and I said, well, I'm trying to start a children's home. He goes, where are you staying? And I said, well, I know where I'm staying for two more nights and I don't know. And he goes, you know, there's a guy at Chick-fil-A who needs somebody to house sit in his home in Powder Springs for six months. Wow. Now, this is the only person I knew in Atlanta, of a, a, a you know city of that that time four million dollars, uh, four million people, or whatever. Um, and so, I lived in uh, seven different places. Three of those times, I didn't know where I was going to spend the night. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a verse in Isaiah. It says, "You took me by my hand as if I were blind and led me along unfamiliar paths and ways I did not know." And I feel like that is sort of My story is I just wanted to be about God's business and and there was no plan B. It was just here I am. And and I, you know, Matt, I didn't at some level I didn't want to be 80 years old and look back on my life and said, you know, I just didn't have the faith to go after God's best for me. And if I failed, I failed. But I didn't want it to be a lack of faith. And so I just said, God, here I am. Uh, I'm going to work as hard as I can. But at the end of the day, if you're not in this, it's not going to work. And there's part of me that really wanted to say, if you are who you say you are, I want you to prove yourself strong in my life. And he did, and it's just like one thing after another when I was about to just give up, I remember um I know I'm telling you a lot of stories here, but that's oh, I love the it. way i that way I talk mm-hmm. I remember um <clears throat> I was sitting in Powder Springs at this this home, and I'd gone up and met with a, a pastor of a church up in Cartersville and uh and I was telling him what I wanted to do, and I was about to leave and he goes, uh, so Eddie, are you asking me for my advice on how you should proceed? And I said, yeah, in a way, I guess I am. And he goes, how much money do you have left? And I go, about $25. Wow. And he said, you have $25, and how much longer are you gonna be able to stay at this Powder Springs home? And I said, I think about another week, and then I don't know where I'm gonna go. And he goes, you know, he said, I'm just gonna be honest with you, it's clear to me that it doesn't seem like God's in this. Hmm. He said, Eddie, dreamers like you walk into my office every week. And my advice to you is just to go back home, just go back to Alabama. You know, you gave it the, the, a good try, but it's obvious that God doesn't seem to be in this. So got in my car, back to the telephone ball, telephone pole, and caved in my entire back car. Oh, no. And I'm driving down to Powder Springs, and I walked in the home, and I sat down, and I said, God, you've made a fool out of me. I left, every, I left everything for you. And people are laughing at me here. They're laughing at me in it. Alabama, and I said, I've got one week, and I'm, I quit. I'm done. I can't go on anymore. And I said, if you want me to stay here, you've got to show me something. And I said, I got one week the next morning it was eight o'clock and I was praying and the phone rang. Don't even know how this guy got my number. And he said, are you Eddie stop? And I said, yeah. He goes, what are you doing, son? I said, well, I'm praying. And he goes, well, get off your knees. I've got some money for you and some other people do, and you need to get started. Wow. And, And that's the way, that's
2: the way, um, God
1: has been part of this. Um, so I, I can't separate my activity from his activity. It was just hand in glove. We've got a job to do for hurting children. So
2: hmm.
0: I love it. I love the way that. Uh I love the way you told that story and, uh, and I love the way that it has come together. Yeah. Pretty great. I mentioned uh, when we got started, this is our 17th installment of the Rocket IT podcast. Do you know that our first was uh, one of your team members, Kelly Brewer? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yes. So that was a uh, pretty great start. She is an, she is an awesome person. I loved uh, interviewing with her, and it was pretty great that she was willing to uh, sort of be the guinea pig on our first episode. Uh, so we got to hear a little bit about Eagle Ranch way back then on, on that, uh, that first podcast. One of the things that sort of struck me about her story was how she ended up at Eagle Ranch. And it was uh, an invitation from you uh, to uh, consider a what for Kelly at the time I think was a pretty big change in her life, right? To, right. Uh, to leave what she was doing and to join you at Eagle Ranch. I just wonder, it sort of seems to me like that's probably a common theme, uh, that, uh, many times, uh, you have extended invitations for folks on a very personal level that have uh, turned out to be, not only great for Eagle Ranch, but also really great for the individuals that have been invited. And I wonder if you could-
1: personal journey, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that, because I think many of us, and I would certainly include myself in this uh, uh, category, uh, might have a little bit of uh, uh, fear about uh, inviting someone into what we consider something very big. Maybe the other person doesn't feel that way. And I I just wonder if you could kind of walk us through that a little bit. How, how, how do we go about, uh, finding those individuals that uh, could potentially be, uh, life changers for our organizations, but also potentially be uh, a great opportunity for them. How do you, how do you find those people and how do you
2: make that, that ask? Wow.
1: Because that is that is so important, especially when you live and work in community, mm-hmm. that you have to have people that are a, a fit with your mission your values. That they that the why resonates with them. That the fire of the why of the why resonates with them. Um, I. I Personally, I've just never been shy about approaching anybody about this because I believe in why we exist. And we just interviewed um, some folks the other day, and and I, I started my interview process with, I just want you to know, I don't really call this an interview. I call it discernment both for you and for us if it's a good if this is not where you're supposed to be if this is not part of your personal journey then I don't care how competent you are in this field it's just not going to work for you and it's not going to work for us so we really uh are very very thorough in our whole process and it's as much for them as for us and and this couple that I was interviewing they go we've never been through anything like this and they go, we appreciate so much your due diligence. This is not just to be for house parents. You. Yes. Yeah. Not just, yeah. not just for Eagle ranch is purpose, but you're trying to, to look out for us too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think at, at the end of the day, we, we look for people, you know, we do weighted criteria and all that stuff all the buzzwords in in our world, you know, in the business world. But we just look for people that resonate with why we exist and, and resonate with our core values. I do think that's important. Yeah. Because there, there are people that, are, like I said, competent and all the they check all the boxes, Matt. But there, there's a missing, uh, there's a miss mm-hmm. with our why, with our core values, and it's just it's okay. Yeah, I'm just not going, just not going to work here. Right. But there are a lot of places that it would be great because
2: mm-hmm. you
1: probably align more with their why. So, but that why is so key, and I I, I think a, a lot of organizations don't spend a lot of time on that they go right to core values and and some of these other things but they forget why they even exist on this earth um so that it's it's interesting um uh, you know a guy named dallas willard uh he's people would call him America's c.s lewis and he did a uh he did an article. It's called Living the Vision of God, and it was about succession. Mm-hmm. And it talks about you know, this is what happens. The founder loves the fire, the founder loves the why. And subsequent generations of leadership increasingly love the effects of the fire. They love the financial benefits, they love the reputation, they love da 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 da. But the fire becomes a distant memory. And, and, and what's important to us as leaders is to keep our folks close to the fire. Um, you know, I'm moving out of my role as executive director, you know, in the near term, and I'm going to move to a different role at Eagle Ranch. But I was, I was talking to our board. I said, you know, sometimes people go, what's Eagle Ranch going to look like in 50 years? And, and my response is, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility, and your responsibility, Matt, as a founder, is we just need to get this next generation right. This next generation of leadership right. And if we get that right, then hopefully they'll get the next generation of leadership right. Right. Because we can't control beyond the next, the next, the next deal. So, um, and what I was talking to a guy, CEO of a company you would know. Very strong culture. Very strong ethos. And, and I said, what, what are you going to do to keep this next generation close to the fire of your why? And he, and he said something. He said, you know, every year I meet with every new employee and we go over our why and our vision and values. We go through our history. We go back to where we started physically, our first shop. And then, so everybody has this, and then we celebrate our core values in real time. Mm -hmm. Like we're, one of our core values is commitment to innovation. When we do innovative things, even in the midst of a COVID environment, we celebrate that in real time. Otherwise it just becomes words on a page, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If we say that we, uh, uh, are good stewards of all things that are trusted us when that happens in real time, we celebrate that. Um, so that it becomes part of embedded in our ethos, if that makes sense. So, um, anyway, I
2: love it. We,
0: uh, I think have some things in common in that area. Uh, years ago I, was thinking about the future of Rocket IT and had this idea of developing, you know, you talked about the business plan, developing what I called a 100-year plan. Uh, I sat down today and thought about what uh, I wanted to happen for Rocket IT over 100 years. And, you know, there's not very many businesses that last that long. So this is very, you know, um, some might call it pie in the sky, you know, dreamy vision kind of thing. But but just thinking about it, just going through the exercise of thinking, mm-hmm. what if 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 you were going to build a business that had the potential to see its 100th anniversary, what are what is the foundation that needs to be built today? Right. And a big part of that was thinking about our purpose, our why. Uh, our values and uh, and that solid foundation that would be necessary in order to have that even be a possibility. Mm -hmm. But you don't get very far into that exercise when you realize that, you know, I started my business at 25 years old. I think when, sounds like when uh, you started Eagle Ranch, uh, similar uh, in age, we realized pretty quickly that. I'm probably not going to be here to see that anniversary Mm -hmm. and therefore it is necessary at some point for there to be a transition from me being the CEO uh, to someone else being the CEO. uh, And at some point from me being involved in the day to day uh, organization to not being involved at all because I'm literally not alive. Right? So, I love that uh, thought exercise around uh, succession and the transition and how do you make sure that the things that uh, uh, help the company start and the vision for the organization uh, survive uh, through that transition. I love that you're thinking about
1: that and and living it out. And so few nonprofits or for profits do it well. There's Mm -hmm. a book called uh, Built to Last uh, by Jim Collins. I I like it better than good to great. I I just sort of my favorite business book Hmm. and it talks about succession issues and, and it's, it's really quite sobering to think how these great, um, these great companies just had missteps in succession and their thinking was off and, uh, with regard to who they brought in. And it's, I I look at this work that I'm doing now and my board is doing now is very holy work. That this is some of our most important work in the history of Eagle Ranch. And We started it five years ago, Matt. We started thinking about succession five years ago and started putting things in place so that when this thing happens, it's gonna be, as smooth as possible, and as little drama as possible. Mm. Um, so, but it's it's really something that I, I think, to your point, needs to be given real serious thought.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, my experience has been that just preparing for that uh, eventual transition has helped enormously in making the organization more efficient and resilient. Uh, You know, if if some, in a lot of organizations, especially smaller organizations, if something happens to the founder, uh, because we never know day to day uh, how things are gonna go, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a real risk to the organization. And so the practice of preparing for succession actually prepares the organization uh, for the unknowns uh, that, uh, that inevitably
1: come up in our lives. So
0: really important stuff. You know,
1: it's interesting. I, I, there's two organizations I mentor. They were founder-led. Um, and, and I start off my talk with them when we meet at Eagle Ranch. I said, first of all, not every organization is meant to outlive its founder. Mm. So let's start there. Should this organization continue to exist past you? And you would thought I would have laid a bomb in, like, you know, it's almost, it's almost surely this thing's gonna keep. But that may may not be part of the thing. It may have had its season with this founder, and it's time for it to go away. But once you say that, and they go, "Okay, of course we want to keep." Okay, okay, now we've got to look at succession, and you can start to work backwards, sort of what you're saying. You got to get. What is this basic time? And let's start working backward. What needs to be in place organizationally, financially for this transition to happen successfully? I love it. Exactly what you're saying.
2: Well, you
0: mentioned Jim Collins and his, uh, his book. Uh, I've been reading a a good book that I want to share with you. You recognize that? Yeah. So, uh, on Eagle's wings, uh, kind of the story of how, uh, Eagle Ranch got started. And there's a lot of, uh, great, there are a lot of great stories in here about, uh, you and about the ranch. Uh, but the thing about this book is very hard to find. You got to know somebody to find this book (laughs) just about, Uh, but it's published in 1995. That's, I know that's 25 years ago because that's when I started my business. Mm -hmm. I bet there's another, is there another book? Is there a sequel? Let us
1: know what happens next. Well, um, we are, we are looking at that. Um, we do have a, we had a a book that was more just stories of different kids who've grown up here. It's called seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's something that we're going to be looking at as I sort of transition to another role. Will I have Mm -hmm. some bandwidth to look at that and uh, sort of do a sequel kind of.
0: Well, this one's a great read. Uh, Thank you. Good, good book. Nice, nice job.
1: Yeah, you can get those from the range. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so if there you go. Your listeners would like a copy. Uh, you know, we have we have plenty of the range. So. Great.
0: So let's let's change gears just a little bit. I'd like to talk about uh, a little bit about just kids. You've you've got a lot of experience in this area. My kids, uh, I you know, we joke at home. My wife and I are newly empty nesters, so our kids have been launched uh, out into the world. And uh, and Maureen and I uh, are are at home, but I certainly remember this has not been very long since this has happened, and I certainly remember when my kids were at home and all the fun and 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 all the challenges that uh, that go along with that. Um, one thing that I thought was uh, a a big influence in in our home, you know, remember. Uh, CEO of a IT services company is just technology. Right. And I'd love to hear when kids come to the ranch, most kids I know are already carrying some sort of technology on their person at all times. How, how does, how does, how do you deal with
1: technology and kids at home at the ranch? Okay. Great question. Um, well, when a child comes here, they can't have their cell phone.
2: Oh, really?
1: Okay. And yes. And that, that is. End of discussion. Wow. And, uh, we had a, uh, a, a young girl that came here very, very attractive. And so she was getting all kinds of boy attention. She went to school in Gwinnett, all kinds of boy attention. And so she comes here and says, you know, Part of the deal is you can't have your phone here, and you need to work on you. Uh, you don't need to be working on you in the context of what everybody feels about you on social media. It just confuses and you you need this time for you. so she she had a little bit of a hissy fit and uh, and uh, but when she graduated in her graduation speech, she goes, I just remember when I came to the ranch, y'all said I couldn't have my, my phone and it, how mad that made." Me. And she goes, but looking back, she said, I never realized how I was, and I think she used this word vicariously living through my life through what other people thought and how much that framed, uh, my view of myself. And she said it took being Eagle ranch to find out who I was apart from that. Interestingly, she's in college now. And, uh, I was eating up at a, I was eating a restaurant in Gainesville and she came up to me and she goes, Mr. Eddie. And she, and I said, Hey honey, I said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm doing great. Helping the run deal for the owner and I'm still going to school. And she goes, She goes, you know, I still don't use my iPhone like I used to.
2: (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And
1: That that really helped me put that in. Prioritize that. And um, so I, I think what we try to do, Matt, is to slow life down for kids here and to teach them how to work and teach them how to play. Because that's something you and I grew up with, right? That that is sort of part of growing up in our generation. And this generation, there's so many wonderful things about technology, just wonderful. But there's a shadow side to it, right? There's a side that is harmful, that that um, takes kids to an easier place. It's easier to do that than do the the work of self you know introspection or or to be outdoors in nature explore you know we have 315 acres as you mentioned you know exploring in the woods playing basketball riding a bike uh, and then learning how to work you know and and feeling good about a job well done and so i i sort of in a way i sort of is the leader here. I sort of want to take this ranch and take it back in time in a way, in a healthy way. 20 or 30 years where life was a little simpler, a little slower, and still you leverage that technology because that's the world we live in, but to have it as a proper balance. Right. So
0: I gotta think it's, I mean, it certainly was for us. Uh, it's got it's tough for parents to uh, find that proper balance. Mm-hmm. the kids are going to gravitate 100%. And, you know, we, uh, you know, I remember learning that uh, one of my kids, and I won't out them, uh, but uh, one one of my kids, you know, I learned was, uh, you know, sneaking a phone into the bedroom at night. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you think, okay, well, we've got an hour of screen time or whatever as our, as our budget. Well, then come to find out maybe there's uh, more hours happening Mm-hmm. Uh, af- after everybody's gone to bed. Uh, it's tough to manage uh, that at home. I think probably any parents that are listening to this, especially the kids that are older than probably eight or 10, would probably be hard-pressed to say, okay, we're going to go a year, two years
1: yeah. <laughs> without technology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes it's those baby steps. Right. You know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and you remember when you and I were growing up, there are certain people, my parents didn't want me hanging around with. Right. They say, you're not going to go over to that guy's house. Mm -hmm. And, and the danger becomes when people have, when kids have 24 hour access, they're hanging around with people different format, but they're still hanging around people that are having an unduly influence on your kids. That's not good. And so you just got to figure out strategies to mitigate that because you wouldn't let little Billy in your home and let, and yet little Billy's coming into your home via technology in a way that you just go, uh, and it's infecting your child. So it's, it's tough and you can't go to the extremes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's one thing you've got to be careful. We can do that here, because we're sort of, um, we got to do it here. Right. I mean, we're, we're a, a little further down the road with children that we, but technology has really exacerbated emotional issues with the kids we see come to us now. Mm-hmm. It really has. So.
0: I think that a lot of kids that are visiting uh, the ranch are uh, literally moving to the ranch. They probably are, uh, for lack of a better word, very suspicious coming in. You know, I would imagine they've got their guard up a lot of them, maybe most of mm-hmm. them, uh, when they come in, how, how do you try to what establish a, a connection and, and trust with, with kids that probably, you know, especially reading this book and there there you know, not to give anything away of the book, but there are stories in here about kids that maybe come up from that more, much more challenging place. How do you, how do you reach them? Easy question, well, it, right?
2: Well, yeah,
1: we've it, got, it, you've yeah. got
2: 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's, it's about building trust. And because I don't really blame them for not trusting us. They don't know us mm-hmm. and it's a process that you've got to sort of earn your trust. You just can't talk the talk. You've got to walk the talk. And, cliche-ish, but it's really true. They just, they just say, are you real? Are you going to be there for me? Are you going to be consistent? Are you going to be fair? And over time they see we are and that starts to open up these opportunities for them to let down their guard.
0: You mentioned earlier and and I'm probably going to misquote you here, but I think you said something about, uh, bringing challenge and, I'm, I, know, I'm, I know you well enough, and I know uh, Eagle Ranch well enough that there's a big balance there between challenge and, and support. Uh, a lot of these kids, I'm guessing, coming in have already experienced a tremendous amount of challenge in their life, and what they really need is support, and I know that you calibrate that very well. Um, can you kind of unpack that a little bit, and how you decide when, you know, if somebody makes a mistake or they do something that uh, they shouldn't do, how do you know when this kid needs
1: more support or when this kid needs challenge? Well, we, we run the ranch off what we call choice consequence. Oh. You know, you make, a, you make a, a bad choice, there are bad consequences. You make a good choice, there are good consequences. And that is life. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason we do that here. And it says, cause we're training you for life that if you make good decisions, good things happen to you. If you make bad decisions, bad things. And if we want to bring that consistency in your life, that reality into your life, because that's going to be a, a true framework of way, the way the world works. And, and I think our challenge is little boy, little girl, you have an issue with authority. You have a family. You keep this kind of attitude going with authority. You're going to get fired. You're not going to be able to take care of your family. So it's it's like sort of having them think along with you instead of just throwing these dogmas down at them. Just say, okay, let's talk about what your life's going to look like if you continue to have problems with authority. Uh, let's talk about what your life will look like when you keep doing jobs with excellence like you're doing, you're going to have a great job. You're going to be able to provide for your family. I just can't wait to see what your future looks like. So it's like a balance. And, uh, but if you start, if you start throwing stuff from the ivory tower, they're just going to shut you down right? because it's not connected to their reality, but you try to take their current reality and sort of extrapolate it. And just say, okay, this is where this is headed. And sometimes they start to think along and go, gosh, I can't live like that. That's the way it was at home. And I don't want that for my family, maybe. Or the family sees it and the family just goes, we don't want, we want a healthy family. We want to recapture our family. We've got to change our family dance. Or if we don't, and our challenge is if you don't, this is a way this is gonna play out for you. So, a lot of people embrace that, Matt, and, uh, and get moving in that direction, so.
2: Got it.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about how education works? I got to thinking, you know, if, if a kid's coming to Eagle Ranch for a year or two, I'm, I'm guessing not all of them are close enough to continue to attend their regular school, how how does that all work?
1: That's a great question. Um, I I made a decision early on is, and this goes to one of our core values about stewardship, we don't have to do all the things we do for these kids here, we just don't. We don't have to have the number of counselors, we don't have to have equine therapy, we don't have to have an on-campus school, we don't have to do play therapy. We don't have to do any of that stuff. Um, and we can just have these kids here and basically just babysit them, mm. get out a pretty newsletter. It was, Oh, look at these cute little kids. But I would know that we weren't good stewards of our lives, of their lives. And so I look at a child's life. It's a, it's like this from my finger to here. And that we get them for two years of their life, of their precious life, we get them for two years. And that is a sacred trust. And we go, how can we pour into those children's lives during their time with us where it's going to build resilience and substance in their life? And to your point, one of those is education. Great predictor of future performance and outcomes. And we have a great relationship with the public schools, but they just could not remediate our children. At-risk kids tend to be two to three grade levels behind. Really, we're probably, yeah. And and great public schools in our area, but they just couldn't get our kids. And so we did a beta test. I took four of my kids who are struggling the hardest, brought them here. We did a homeschool curriculum, caught them up two grade levels in six months. Wow. And I said, if we're going to be good stewards, we've got to do school here. Yeah. And with a lower we have and so we started a SACS accredited school for grades six through nine, which is our wheelhouse, middle mm-hmm. school plus ninth grade. And we've been able to catch those kids up. We have a one like one teacher per ten kids plus a parapro, so one to five. Wow. And so we're individually meeting these kids where they are academically and and getting them so hopefully when they go to public high school either here or back home that they'll be at or above grade level when they leave. Us. That's amazing. And so, yeah, so that's, mm. that's what we do, but it all goes back to that. It's an integrity issue for all of us in business. Mm-hmm. Are we going to steward this business in a ways that would be pleasing to God? Mm. Or are we going to be sort of like a paper type that it looks good on the outside, right? but inside we just are Cutting corners, and we're not all we could be, for our clients or for our employees. Mm-hmm. You know, so we try to, to be real sensitive to those kind of issues, particularly with our kids. So,
2: I love the uh, the importance
0: and the placed on the value of stewardship. That's actually one of Rocket IT's core values: to be passionate mm-hmm. stewards. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting when you're working through a challenge, uh, just a day to day challenge, uh, thinking through stewardship as being one of the core principles in which you make decisions. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've been entrusted with this in our case, uh, physical device, you know, I've got somebody's laptop that I'm working on, uh, or, uh, someone's data, uh, for their organization or something that's, uh, that's on their computer. And, I am I've been entrusted with this uh, this device or software or data and how am I going to behave with it or even just in the context of our day to day uh just being a steward in, in the office it makes a huge difference when you think of it with that filter and I love that uh, that's uh core uh in your principles as well. Ooh. Tell us about uh, what's next. You, I mean <laughs> You, you've, you, you're making a transition. So you've got a succession plan in place and that's underway. Uh, what's next for Eagle
1: Ranch? Well, we are, uh, under construction right now with our wing center, wing which center. wing center and mm. it is going to house outpatient counseling. Okay. So hopefully we'll help children and families so they won't need an Eagle Ranch mm. or when they leave Eagle Ranch, when a child leaves Eagle Ranch and the family, they can sort of segue back home using our outpatient counseling. Wow. Because those folks are gonna know our our family systems model. So it's it's gonna be a screen in and a segue out. Um, so it'll, it'll identify some families that need Eagle Ranch and hopefully it'll create uh, a family situation where they don't need Eagle Ranch. So it'd be outpatient counseling, It'll also be an area for marriage retreats. Oh, wow. Parenting retreats. And we're also going to do soul care Hmm. for pastors, ministry leaders. Um, uh, There's a book from John Ortberg did. He sort of took off Dallas Willard's whole thing about soul care that we don't. uh, uh, I had a, a young man I mentor. And he goes, when you look back, what do you wish you had done? What was your mistake or, and I said, I wish I would have attended to my soul more in these 35 years and not just run pillar to post. And, and um, and, uh, I, I think he'll learn from that because I wish I had, I wish I had attended that. But anyway, so soul care, we're looking at, at an initiative there. And then finally, there's a thing called the wings initiative where I help other people start or retool children's problems across the country Oh, and wow. some internationally. Mm-hmm. So that's my heart. That's sort of where I'm going to be moving to. So that's what that's going to house It's about 10,000 square foot building should be through in April and we'll hopefully have it open this summer. Wonderful. That's next on the horizon. Yeah. So,
0: And you said you were transitioning to a new role, but I don't think you told us what
1: that looked like. Well, that it'll be, um, I won't be the executive director anymore, but I'll be, uh, I guess. To be fishing say, in the
0: pond, riding the horse. Yeah, I,
1: oh yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I, uh, I love this work, Matt. I just love it. I, I see that we're sending messages to a time that we'll never see. Mm. And um, I, it just resonates so deeply in my my uh, heart that that I want to s- stay connected. But there's a new season for a new guy, new ideas for Eagle Ranch proper. But I think my my time is to be putting a footprint, my my fingerprints on this wing center and get it up and going, sustainable, programmatically, financially. So that's where I'm headed.
0: I. I've- Love that. You mentioned financially, and I would like to touch on that for just a moment. Uh, my understanding is that Eagle Ranch has managed to do all of this, and this is a huge undertaking, but to do all of the things that you've built, uh, the land acquisition and now this new wing center without leveraging debt. Do I understand that correctly?
1: That's that's right. That's amazing. Yeah, well that that's been our has been our it's not a core value Mm -hmm. because core values are independent of the environment, right? And if things got crazy financially, we would go into debt to survive. So that's real important. People think big debt free is a core value. It's not because it's not independent of the environment. But the reason our thought behind debt-free is when people give to us, we're completely privately funded. When people give to us, they do not give to us to service a debt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we, let's say we w- we went into debt and we had a service debt. People gave us a hundred dollars. We would never tell them it's going to service a debt, but it would be going to right. Sure. sure. So we we believe stewardship-wise that gifts to Eagle Ranch no should never go to service of debt. Secondly, uh, people borrow for capital expenditures. That's usually when they borrow. And what's ironic about that is raising capital funds are the easiest thing to do. And and you're borrowing on to do it and you're having to pay back with the hardest money that's to get. And that's the day to day money. Right. So it makes no (laughs) sense. So people, Isn't that I'm
0: interesting?
1: A, I know I'm going to borrow money to build a, a two million dollar building, and I'm going to service the debt with operational money, which is my hardest to come. You know, <laughs> so so that's the second reason we don't do it is it, it makes no sense. And the right. third thing, if you can't raise money for capital expenditure, you've either got a vision problem or you've got a need issue. Because mm-hmm. people will give to need and vision. If you have a need and you have a vision that people can get their arms around, they will give to it. And if you can't raise the money for a capital expansion, you either got a vision problem or you got a need problem. So that's the reason we don't, we, we've been debt freeze our, our entire existence.
0: That's amazing. So, that's a huge accomplishment too. Congratulations. Thank
1: you.
0: Uh, I would love to, you know, it's funny. I want to tap into this and, and we're, uh, we're going to wrap up here pretty soon. But I, I do want to tap into this idea uh, for just a moment that you brought up. That it's easier to raise money for capital expenditures. So that's usually I'm building something or I'm buying something or I'm starting a new something versus operational expenditures. And that is I'm maintaining what we already have. I'm running the day to day. What do you suppose that is? Why, why is it? Because I think I'd probably fall in that category too. To to me, for some reason it seems more exciting to give, to start something new than it is to give, to keep something running that's been around for a long time. Uh, So I guess there's two questions there. One question is what, why do you think that is that it's that people generally want to, they're more interested in funding capital projects. And then secondly, if you don't mind sharing with us, how in the world do you pay for the day-to-day operations if only the only thing that people want to give to is new
1: stuff? Yeah. Um, I I think the reason people gravitate toward capital and you saw, it's exciting Mm -hmm. and this other stuff is just dutiful. It's just a a grind is a little melodramatic, but it's just daily. And, um, and so there's this, My wife told me, I love when bulldozers are turning dirt. I just love the smell of it. I was telling somebody this morning, you know, my wife said, I'm just going to give you a jar of freshly turned dirt for your birthday. So I can just smell it. (laughs) But I like this wing center. I just love it. I love, I'm sort of a developer at heart, I guess. Mm -hmm. I just love that. But it's a, a discipline that there needs to be, There's a timing issue Uh, of is your program ready? Is your business ready to absorb this new capitalization? Is your uh, ongoing operational support position to be able to support that? So, I had a, a a dear friend of mine um, uh, who started something similar to us, and 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 I part of my my encouragement to folks is it takes two to three years to be ready to start something like you got you got to do a lot of uh, policy manuals, you got to do figure out your program, you got to get figure out your operational stream, you got to figure out figure out your referral streams. All this stuff has to be done. And this guy was given a million dollars to build two homes, 500,000 each. And the people that gave the money wanted him to build them right away. He called me and said, Eddie, these people want to give me a million dollars. Two different people. And they said, I've got to spend it now. And he said, I remember you saying that about this foundation you need to lay before we do that. And I said, I don't have that yet. But if I don't build, I'm going to lose a million dollars. And I said, well, my recommendation is you go back to them and explain to them why the timing is not perpetuous. I mean, it's just not, the timing is not there. You can't do it. And he goes, what if they say, then the money's gone? I said, I would let the money be gone. And, and it's from
0: the guy that wrote the one page business plan.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, and, and so, and, and if I was his, I, I mean, if I was where he was, I don't know what I would have done. I mm-hmm. hope I wouldn't have done it, but he did it and it just about uh, destroyed his ministry really? because he was trying to, to he capitalized, but at that same time, he's trying to develop program, trying to develop operational strength, trying to policy and all that stuff. So he, and plus in the context of having at risk kids, Mm. So all this stuff in one thing and it took him five years to come out of that to stabilize. Wow. And Mm. I met with him um, halfway through this mess and he just fell in my arms, just crying. He said, I I just didn't think it would be like this. Mm. But he said, and he mentors people now too. And he says, you've got to have a firm foundation before (laughs) you grow things. But that foundation is hard work in those Mm -hmm. buildings. It was sexy, right? Man, look at the house, look at the wings. So, you know, but you've got to do this, this groundwork and it's, it's just hard. It's, it's difficult. So that, I think that's the reason people tend to gravitate all of us gravitate toward the new, but it's a discipline to say, you got to have your program. You got to have, all these things lined up before you move move there you're not going to be able to support it right. and uh either programmatic or financially. um so our operational funding every bit of it's private um um 4.6 million dollars a year
2: wow
0: that's a that's a that's a good oh, size budget but you've got a lot to uh manage especially with all the different programs you have in place
2: yeah so that yes. all
0: is uh private donations, uh, or mm-hmm. are there, Yeah, you know, we've got to guess that a lot of your, uh, residents would have a tough time paying. So is, no. is there some sort of tuition? Yeah. Uh,
1: the average payment of a child coming here is $275 a month. Wow. And I made a decision when I came here, Matt, a child would never, ever, not be able to come here because of finance. Mm. And so we have some that pay $5 a month. You know, we have some to pay more than 275, but it just is not a, it's not a determiner whether we right. take a child or not. It right. never, ever will be. So, uh, we have an endowment fund mm. that throws off some income, but still we have to raise a lot of money every year. And, and, And this sounds simplistic, but it's just God's provision. a lot of times it's like the loaves and the fishes and you don't know where the money's going to come from, but it just ends up coming. And we've never sent out an appeal letter in 35 years. And I remember we had a board meeting uh, and we got the money, we get our mail in the morning and I told my assistant, I said, don't open the mail. And I went to the board meeting and I have incredible board members as you probably have seen who they are. And I put, there's probably about eight pieces of mail. And I said, I want you, I'm going to open this mail and show you our donations today. For open the uh, first one, $25 next one, hundred dollars next one 50. And so after it was all over, I think it was $430. Wow. And I looked at my board and I said, you know, this is our daily bread. And we're going to thank God for our daily bread. And we don't know how it's going to come. We don't know how it's going to come, only that it will come. And this is what we have today. Mm -hmm. And it's enough. It's enough. And so that's. And I, I told Kelly this when she first started working here. Uh, this was back in the early, early days of Eagle Ranch. We usually get, you know, junk mail and, you know, probably all in all, we probably get probably 30 pieces of mail. This one time we got two, ma- we got two pieces of mail. That's it, two. The first one I opened was a check for $2 from Dorothy M. Smith from Marietta. It was written. I knew she was elderly because it was written in arthritic handwriting, $2. Never had a check that small before. The next thing I opened was a check for a hundred thousand dollars
2: from someone in
1: Marietta. And it was almost as if back in those very early days, is that God was saying, love the giver and not the gift. I know that that elderly lady, she gave all she could. And those people that gave a hundred thousand, that was the largest gift they'd ever given. And it was sacrificial for them. And I told Kelly, I said, when people give, you know, we have a letter that goes out. I said, I want us to write personal letters to those people that get $25 because they never get personal letters. The people that give 10000 you know, they do. But our part of who we are is that we love the giver and not the gift. And, and that, the way we do that, and the way we thank people, and the way we sort of cast who we are transparently, we even share kids we've lost here and how painful that is because that's reality. We're not a, right. panacea. we're not a panacea.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just that transparency and honesty and thanking people the day we get their gift. It, it, it just has created some goodwill and, and people feel that they own part of this ranch and they do. I mean, I work, I feel like I work for our donors. So, Anyway that's I love it yeah that's yeah, great that.
0: that's a really impressive uh, uh, that you're able to run that kind of budget off of purely the goodwill of folks uh, around the community and and beyond you know that's that's really great. I want to move on to the lightning round, and I know we have shared in advance what some of those lightning round questions are, but that would be too easy, so I'm going to throw in an extra one that's not on the list. oh
1: gosh. <laughs>
0: I, I, of, I would I love
1: sort
2: of to hear. <laughs> I would I love now. to hear
0: how how has the ranch surprised you from your original vision 35 years ago when you showed up in Georgia. When you showed up in Georgia, if you had thought about where you would be in 35 years, mm-hmm. how are things different than that?
1: A lot a lot different cuz yeah. I would have had 40 boys, one counselor. One. None one counselor. None of what we do now.
0: Wow, really?
1: Uh, yeah, that's mm. that's what I had envisioned. And no girls. Mm. Um, but I tell you what's happened. is There's a verse that says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. These, how Eagle Race has evolved is a direct um, result of
2: people around me
1: Um, challenging that original vision and me listening to them. And because of those people, we went from boys to boys and girls. Because of those people, we went from boys and girls to working with families. Because of those people, we have equine therapy. Because of those people, we have a school. Because of those people, we have a WINGS initiative. And because of that, we have a WINGS center. And it's just listening to people who see life from a different perspective? We're all myopic, right? right? We all right. got our like those racehorses; they have those blinders, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know what's going on here or over here. But but the richness of the people that have come here has enriched our mission. So
0: fantastic. I love it when it works out to be even better than imagined, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's terrific. Okay, on with the real lightning questions. Okay. <laughs> the ones you studied for, uh, for weeks. Yeah. Uh, tell us about a person that has made a profound impact in
1: your life. Uh, Jim Webb. Uh, oh. Jim was a retired, do you know Jim? I Have don't. You heard of him? Mm-mm. He was a retired Procter & Gamble executive. Okay. We're naming the Wings, naming the Wings Center after him. Oh, Um yeah. But Jim, uh my father died when I was in college and so Jim stood in as my best man. Uh he passed away with pancreatic cancer last year.
2: Oh that's too bad. Uh, But
1: he uh he was a man who had a unique gift to challenge and encourage me, almost Mm. in the same sentence. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um but just quite a remarkable individual, was on my board from the very beginning, never rotated off. He's the only one that I've never rotated off. Wow. He had that organizational knowledge that he knew my heartbeat. I knew his. Uh, uh, so, How anyway, did you that, meet that, him? Um, I met him when I first came to town, um, just a mutual hmm. friend. They said, this this guy might have an interest in what you're doing. And, right. and Jim, you know, you you look at these P and G guys; they're very practical, very regimented, and and I think the faith dimension of Eagle Ranch, he was enamored by that. Mm. Um, I, I think I, I didn't have anything, and there was something about me or my vision that I think touched him, and he just. He didn't let go, you know, so it's good to have those people that walk with you regardless. Well, i tell you how has been some tough days. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet there have been. All right. Tell
2: us the single most important lesson you've learned in your professional career. Don't compromise
1: your values for short-term gain. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: Always have the long view.
2: Um,
1: Saying no is as important as saying yes. And there have been so many things that have come across my path that From a worldly perspective, people go, you got to be kidding me. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. That's a gray area. You can get away with that. But we've said no, 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 no. It's not who we are. Not judging. If other people go there, but that's not who we are. That's not our story. Mm -hmm. And and I think that, uh, I think that's what I would say.
2: I love that because
0: I bet you have experienced, I've certainly experienced times where we wrestle with an opportunity. Uh, should I, shouldn't I? And a lot of times we're wrestling with it because maybe we sense that it isn't compatible with who we are or what our vision is for our future. And then when we ultimately decide not to pursue that opportunity, it's not a sense of disappointment, it's a sense of instant relief. You felt that before, haven't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just it's just in the it's in the rearview mirror. Right. Yeah. And we can get on to business. Yeah.
0: Right. I've just had so many of those times in my life when there are things that have come up and uh you know we really you know, Maureen and I will sit down and we'll talk about it and we'll pray about it and we'll sleep on it and wrestle with it. And there's something just not quite right, and ultimately uh, we decide you know what uh not for us, then we'll move on, and almost inevitably there's this this immediate sense of relief oh wow okay mm-hmm. glad I don't have to I'm glad I don't have to think about that anymore yeah uh, yep. I love it, okay, last one, current books you're reading uh or a favorite podcast anything uh top of mind for you
1: um I just love built to last. Yeah. I, I I tend to read books over and over and over Do you really? rather than rather than a lot of books. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll drill in with some. There's Collins. Also, yeah. yeah, Collins. Yeah. And uh on the spiritual uh front, there's a book, it's real small, it's called Let Go by Fenelon F-E-E F-E-N-E-L-O-N. Name of it's Let Go. And it's, it's pretty significant. Um, okay. So those, those are the two that, that, uh, that I'm sort of honing, you on right now, uh, as, as far as a podcast, I, I, I like a lot of Tim Keller's stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. Tim Keller out of uh, New York city. Um, that's sort of the, where I land with that. All right.
0: So. Great. If people want to reach out to you or learn more about Eagle ranch, what's the best way to do that?
1: It would be, uh, e stop S T A U B at Eagle org. That's the best way to get me.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. I assume your website's, Eagle ranch.org. They want to right. Visit the website. Right, That's correct. That's fantastic. great. And our,
1: our new, our new website is launching today. Hey, fantastic. Yeah. So All we're right. really excited about Stephanie and her team have done an incredible job. And we're we had a good website before now, but it's really, uh, Uh, Navigation friendly and and that kind of thing. So we're excited about that. Hey,
0: Fantastic. Well, congratulations. I know that's not an easy uh, feat. Uh, Websites these days can be major projects. So uh, fantastic. Well, Eddie, thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate your time today. Uh, I believe it's time to wrap things up, Eddie. For myself and our audience, thank you for spending time with us today. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Rocket IT's business podcast. Should you have any suggestion on future topics that you'd like to learn more about, email us at podcasts at rocketit.com. Finally, a quick plug for Rocket IT. We work with businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in the areas of IT support, information security, and strategic planning. To learn more about Rocket IT and its services, visit rocketit.com. Eddie, thank you.
2: Appreciate you you, so much.